I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, everyone. We are extremely happy and proud to announce that we will be taking part in a Movember campaign this year. And the time is nigh to begin this effort in earnest. We will be engaging in some sometimes not so friendly competition this year to see who can grow the best mo and who can raise the most dough. Are you Team Jer? You better be. Team Tay? Maybe Team Bride? Who do you think is going to come out on top? Let us know in the comments over on Instagram and YouTube. And in the meantime, put your money where your mouth is and head over to sickboypodcast.com slash Movember to pledge your allegiance. Men's health is near and dear to us. We've spent hours chatting with people who have been through the ringer with everything from cancer to suicidal ideation and the importance of developing a dialogue around these incredibly important topics. On November 8th, we'll be hosting a free live show for our friends at Movember. We'll be speaking with Mitch Hermanson, good friend of the podcast, as well as the director of development over at Movember. We'll also be speaking with John Olive, who is the Canada Research Chair in Men's Health Promotion at UBC's School of Nursing. And boy, oh boy, we can't wait. Last but not least, on November 1st, we're launching a shirt collection that is 100% Movember-inspired and 100% supporting our fundraising efforts. Every cent of profit from these t-shirt sales is going to the cause. So why not show your support and get some great new threads in the process? Go to shop.sickboypodcast.com to get yours today. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Dana. She has terminal brain cancer. And this is from our live show at Algonquin College in Ottawa. Let's talk about it. We are live. What's what's going on, Algonquin College? From your living room or bedroom or wherever. Wherever you might be. Bathroom. Could be, yeah, you could yeah. be watching this on the shitter. Uh, yeah. Brian, uh, not to throw you under the bus there, but Brian literally just got back just in time. That was a pee, but before earlier oh, on. Tonight, he's got yeah. an upset yeah. tummy. Your tummy's so all fucky. There might, yeah. be, there might be an emergency bathroom break for Brian. I think I should be good now. I think I've uh, voided. Is Famous. That, is that what you say? Famous last let's word. Keep it my to, let's keep it devoided. Uh, folks, thank you so much for joining us. We are so happy that you are here uh, wherever you, wherever here is for you. Um, we've, we've been to the college before we have. and, um, and it's been, it's been an amazing time. Every time we've done shows there, it's been so fun. Um, and hoping that when this craziness, uh, kind of subsides a little bit more that in the near future, we can be in your lovely presence once again to do a live show. Uh, in front of your faces, but for and, today and hopefully make somebody uh, pass out again. <laughs> oh oh yeah. yeah, right. Someone passed out at our show there that was once. Crazy. Yeah. We talked. Uh, what, one of the oh live shows God. that we did at the school was uh, about a car accident. That's right. And uh, the guest that we had on the podcast 
was telling us all about their car accident and someone specifically about how graphic. on impact well you don't have to go into her it. pelvis folded in half like a book no that's not why they got up oh it wasn't no i thought that that was the trigger no it was the ankles snapping and the tops <laughs> of her feet plastering to her shins anyway folks uh, uh, this is sick boy podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're uh, so uh we're gonna we're gonna mix things up for this show uh we're not gonna be talking about a brutal car accident but we are gonna be talking about something that um that might hit close to home for some people might be a little bit um hard to listen to so at, at, at moments but this is what we're all about we're we're all about having conversations that are tough, trying to normalize those conversations and trying to find levity within those conversations. Um, but before we get to our, our guest, our very special guest tonight, and before we get into that conversation, um, I thought it would be really fun to kind of warm things up with a quick round of a game that we have here in our studio. And it's a, it's a card game called Death Deck. Um, the Death Deck was sent to us by a past guest who actually created the Death Deck. And um, essentially, in a nutshell, it's, it's like Cards Against Humanity, except made to uh, invoke uh, meaningful communication surrounding the idea of our own mortality, mm. which is something that we are no strangers of, of covering here on the podcast. We and talk still about death all the time. With some humor. And still with some humor, yeah. So, <clears throat> so um, we're going to play a game here now, and then we might play a game a little later in the podcast with our guests. So um, Amazing. I'm, I'm going uh, to bring out the deck here, and we'll do a real quick round just to get things started. So I'm going to shuffle. Okay, so when you... I know how to you, shuffle. Don't I look know. at me like that. <laughs> when you know, shuffle so, with no eyes? So, Jer, just so see that you this? can remind me, because I haven't played in a while, when you pick one of those cards, what are we going to see on that? Well, I'm not going to pick a card. I'm going to pick a card. Uh, You're going to pick, pick a card. card. All right. Am and I going to pick the top card, or are you going to fan those out? I'm going to fan them out. Pick any card. Like any card works. Imagine. Any trick. card. Not that one. Don't pick that one. Okay. Yeah. That's a good so one. That's a good one. Guys. So I take it to myself and And hold it to yourself. It? Yeah. Yeah. You know what's really amplifying this experience yeah. right now? Pick a card. Any card. What's the es- that? The essential oil in the background. It is. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It feels like we're doing a seance, or like Ouija board, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or tarot. All right. Here we go. Tell I got a card. my spirit will go. Um, all right, did so read, did you just read your card? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold on. Was that not supposed to? Uh, so we each <laughs> picked the card now. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around um, in the, the half moon here that we have, mm-hmm. and uh, we're each going to read a card. And then, so Brian, when you read your card, yes. Taylor and I are going to have a, a moment to guess what your thought or answer or, or response to the card would be. And then, um, and then we'll give you the floor, and you can tell us whether or not uh, we were close, right, wrong, whatever. And then you tell us what your response is to the card. Okay. okay? So I. So my question is: Do you believe in reincarnation? And so my three options here are. Oh, so multiple choice. Okay. A is yes. Our soul returns in a new body to learn new life lessons. Ooh. B, no. We get one shot on this crazy blue marble, and that's it. Don't fuck it up. C, undecided. I haven't seen much evidence either way. All right. Taylor, what do you think Brian would choose out of that? Uh, I would say that Brian will go with yes, that, it, that, that it, he will be, and that he will be a human, and he'll be able to remember 
his past life life experience. Okay. You okay. think he believes that bullshit, huh? Okay. All right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with the opposite and say that. Uh, nope. You get one shot and one shot only, and you better not screw it up. See the 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 real answer here is that you're both wrong, but because you're oh. both right in a sense because. I'm sort of flip floppy on this. Okay. And, great. And uh, great. Real, so, simplify which, it for us, which, right? Great. Which therefore means my answer is undecided. I haven't seen that much evidence either way. And I'll tell you why really quickly. Because um, I I think that I think that there's nothing after death except for when I think about this movie that I watched when I was a kid called Fluke. And I watched it when I was like five. I can't remember if it was like a Disney Fluke. or Pixar movie or something like that, but <laughs> it was a really it was a really interesting movie because the plot is that this uh, father in a family dies and he's reincarnated into their golden their retriever puppy. Oh my that God. They yeah. Get. Yeah. I have it here. And uh, he might actually be alive. Is he a golden retriever or alive? Uh, he's definitely not a golden retriever. He <laughs> oh, looks sad. like, I remember him as a golden basic, retriever. Basic. <laughs> he looks, he looks like Clifford, the big red dog actually. So he comes back and the whole time it's such like the whole time you're screaming at the movie screen because you're like, your dad is the dog. Your dad is Fluke. And they're taking and they're taking their dad, and he pissed on the carpet, and they're just rubbing his nose in yeah, it, going slapping bad his nose dog, and stuff. bad dog. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. So I like to think that if I die, I'll be reincarnated into a golden retriever, mm. or you know, a human again. I guess, like Taylor said, Brian. But I'm really undecided. I think you already have died in a past life, and you were. Reincarnated as a human golden retriever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the real ra- answer, of course, is that you know you will be reincarnated pro- probably as a fossil fuel <laughs> <laughs> at some point. Like you'll be just used by an engine. Yeah. Energy. Oh man, I don't know if I, I don't know if that makes me happy or really sad. <laughs> That's great though. Um, all right, Taylor, let's uh, let's do your card. Uh, okay. Um, so the question is, would you consider donating your entire body to a body farm? <laughs> Wait, whoa. <laughs> would you consider donating your entire body to a body farm where natural decomposition is studied with significant benefits to forensic science? Kinky. Oh. A, sure, my results might inspire another season of CSI. <laughs> That's funny. No, but I'm cool with organ donation. C, entire body, question mark? No way. I just, I just said question mark. For, for some reason, uh, oh, it didn't. It didn't spell out question mark. No, it didn't. But I <laughs> felt. I felt like I didn't. I didn't you say just... entire body with a question mark. So <laughs> entire I like body. I, so I had to say <laughs> the question mark. Uh, all right, Brian, what do you think? Uh, I think for sure yes. Though I bet you would modify your answer because you're not a huge CSI fan. So you might be like, yeah, you can kind of do whatever the fuck you want with my body because when I'm dead, I'm I'm dead and. I'm just going to become a fossil fuel yeah. otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, uh, I'm with Brian on that. I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I'd be like, no fracking. <laughs> use me. <laughs> yeah, use my body for science. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move right along to the final card here. Choose a reincarnation challenge for your next self. Would you rather come back, A, super rich, but die well before my prime, B, super poor, but live a long, healthy life. <laughs> or C, paralyzed, but guaranteed to win a Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, that's a fucking uh, hard one. Uh, no, it's pretty, pretty easy. I think you would be, uh, yes, um, super rich and uh, die, a, die a shorter life. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. What Brian said. <laughs> guys, I mean, I, I know you've been aching for that for a while, guys. <laughs> one, I'm, I mean, really, I am living. That's your. Best. I'm living a, but with B right <laughs> with now. Yeah. I am super poor, and I'm gonna die well before yeah. my prime. This question so, is your Instagram bio. Yeah. So, so I would definitely just take what I'm already going through and toss super rich on there, and for sure. I was living it up. Yeah. yeah. Living that super short life with no money. Uh, <laughs> so that is uh, that is Death Deck. It's it's a super fun game and uh, I am very much looking forward to playing the game a little bit later in our conversation with our guest this evening. Our guest this evening is a lovely young woman all the way from the beautiful province of British Columbia. It says uh, it on the license plate. It it does, doesn't it? It does. Yes. Uh, they know. They know how beautiful it is. Um, please uh, give, a, and you know what? Just fucking do this anyway. I know there's probably no one around and it feels weird, but just give, and especially if you're doing, if you're watching this on the bus or on the shitter, just give a big, hearty round of applause yeah. for our guest tonight, Dana. Yeah. There she is. All right. Dana, Dana, hello, hello. Hello. Uh, first of all, how are you, how are you doing? How are you doing over in beautiful British Columbia? I'm doing good. Um, it is, as they say on the license plates, very beautiful. Can confirm. Um, we like to make sure everyone else knows it too. Um, and yeah, it's good. It's the rainy time of year, so it's gloomy and damp. Um, but sounds, it's also nice sounds it's very been good. Yeah, gloomy and damp sounds nice. Hot. Also Ooh. this summer, it was so hot. Yeah, I guess you're ready for a little bit of a uh, little bit of moisture coming down to uh, relieve all of that body moisture that is coming up uh, during the hot months. Oh, it's so <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, I was like, what? are you insinuating that we're all going to be sweating profusely for the remainder of the show? Like, what are you what are you getting at? I mean, we could be. We're going to be getting into some sweaty content here. Uh, uh, Dana, you how old are you, Dana? I'm 25. 25 years old, and you yeah. have uh, been diagnosed with, and let's see if I can pronounce this right, glioblastoma. Yes. Good job. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what is glioblastoma? So glioblastoma um, is a uh, malignant uh, brain tumor um, that is uh, incurable and terminal, essentially. So once you get glioblastoma, like there's, there's no cure, there's no going back. Um, there's only, um, surgery and treatments to kind of, um, increase or improve your life expectancy and quality of life. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what glioblastoma is. It's, um, it's a pretty rare form of, uh, cancer, but it's the most common, um, type of malignant brain tumor in adults. So, okay. uh, yeah. So, so when you say malignant brain tumor, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm guessing perhaps there's somebody watching or listening right now who yeah. isn't familiar with the difference between malignant and benign. Do you, can you explain yeah. that to us in your own, in your own words? Sure. So a, um, a malignant brain tumor is a cancerous brain tumor, essentially. So glioblastoma is a brain cancer, whereas um, a benign brain tumor is um, essentially just like a, 
uh, I guess, a mass um, yeah, like that a grows. cancerous mass. Yeah, exactly. Um, that grows in the brain and is um, generally like less life-threatening. Um, while there are like um, obviously side effects and, um, you know, um, I can't think of the right word. Like negatives mm. is the wrong word, but um, mm. um, obviously like benign brain tumors can be dangerous as well and need treatment. Um, but generally um, benign brain tumors can be entirely removed with surgery and then um, a little bit of radiation. Um, whereas malignant brain tumors, you need the whole right. gamut of treatments. So surgeries, um, uh, radiation and then chemotherapy, oral chemotherapy is typically the mm. um, protocol as opposed to infusion chemotherapy. All the fun right. stuff. Right. Dana, yeah. Uh, how long has it been since you received uh, this diagnosis? So I was diagnosed in June of 2020. Um, so it's been a little over a year, a year to almost a year and a half, maybe. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Now you you said earlier that it's it's terminal. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think most people understand that the receiving any sort of diagnosis that is terminal is never a good thing. Um, no. Basically <laughs> means you're gonna die. Uh, yeah. Statistically, pretty high chance you're gonna die from the brain tumor, um, unless you know you know you get run over by a bus or something crazy like that. Um, what do like when you get diagnosed with something like a glioblastoma, are you given any kind of life expectancy or or is life expectancy something that you kind of Google and find out on your own and then and then sort of try to manage that yourself? So it's interesting because when I was when I was diagnosed, um, I asked. I had a whole bunch of doctors involved. I had a neurosurgeon. I had a radiation oncologist, a um, neuro-oncologist, a nurse practitioner, and nobody would give me a number. And I asked a number of times, and nobody would give me a number. And they told me, don't go on the internet. Don't look at the numbers. Mm. Because... You know, know, hearing that, you're like, well, if you're not going to tell me... I know. I'm going to fucking go look. So, of course, I looked at the numbers, and the numbers are really, really scary. Um, but up until this point, um, and I really appreciate, like, my main oncologist has not given me any numbers because he said, and something that sticks with me is that, yes, we know what the general numbers are. Like, we know what the statistics say, but we don't know what your numbers are because mm. your age and your under other, you know, you're otherwise healthy other than this mm-hmm. whole cancer situation. Mm. And um, so, you know, everyone's numbers are different. So they don't like to focus on the numbers, which is something that I really appreciate. Um, but at the same time, like the numbers suck. Um, so when I was, when you say they suck, like what, what, how badly do they suck? So the median, um, life expectancy after diagnosis. So median means that half of the people who are diagnosed will live longer than that. And half the people who are diagnosed will not live that long. Um, is for everyone, all age groups, all categories, like all people diagnosed with glioblastoma is 12 to 14 months. Wow. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. yeah that does and suck. I was diagnosed just over 14 months ago, I think. Wow. So, um, yeah, so the numbers aren't good. Um, but then if you break it down by age group, 
um, people in the 20 to 44 year old um, age group, the five year like relative survival rate is 14 percent. Mm. Um, and it gets lower and lower and lower the older the age group gets. So if you're 65 plus, like only 1% of people typically live five years after diagnosis. Mm. Um, but you know, that being said, like I've met people with glioblastoma who have had, were diagnosed with glioblastoma like 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I, I can relate to that in the sense that when I, I mean, when I was born, I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis and the average life expectancy at that point, the median age was like, I don't even think it was in the twenties. And then as I got older, that number started to rise. When I was about 10, the median age of survival was 30. I'm 33 turning 34 in a couple months now. And like through all the work that I've done, whether it's through this podcast or public speaking or, you know, whatever, like advocacy for the, for the CF community. I mean, fuck, I, I met a woman a couple of years ago and she was in her, this woman in her seventies walked up to me and she was like, Oh yeah, how are you? She had a very like raspy Mm -hmm. voice. And I was like, hello. And she was like, I have CF. And I was like, Huh? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what? Yeah. Imposter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop, stop lying to me. Um, uh, and she's like, I just started a Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Can you go to my crowdfunding page? Yeah. And it was this whole scam thing. It was fucking oh, crazy. Yeah. No, no. But she she was, she, and she had a double lung transplant. She had That's been crazy. through the fucking yeah. ringer. And, and that, so I think coming back to what your oncologist said, you know, that it, it's a really good point. It's like, okay, the numbers are the numbers. Stats are stats. But... Stats aren't everything. Mm-hmm. Stats aren't everything. And, and I, I mean, you, you could say that about statistics uh, across any spectrum in any format. Stats mm. don't mean shit. Yeah. Like, they, they, they do, but they, they really don't speak for everything. And they help paint a picture, but they don't, like, there's nothing. They don't paint the picture. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. The interesting thing, though, too, about, um, like, median life expectancy with a terminal illness is that, it it you talk about life expectancy, but we were talking to um, <laughs> Keith MacArthur the other day, the the host of another podcast uh, called Unlocking the Fountain, mm-hmm. and he was talking about uh, life expectancy versus health expectancy. Right. And so I, I I'm curious, uh, Dana, for for you, is it is it more important? Is is health expectancy something that you think about and when they, you know, when you look up these numbers and see like 12 to 14 months, but you also know that there are people out there who have lived much longer, how much, how much of your priorities just focused on like, what can I do now to continue to try to feel as good as I possibly can? Yeah, I think for me, like, and I've had this conversation with myself, with my partner, um, because I'm only 25. And so these like big thoughts and conversations are things that like, I never thought I would have to be thinking about because I was healthy up until a year and a half ago. Um, and so I, I know that like, I would rather live a, like, uh, what quantiful life, I suppose, as opposed to no other way around. I would rather live a life of like, relatively good health, like functionality as opposed Mm -hmm. to like a a longer Mm -hmm. life, because I think that's more important to me. Like I want to be able to live a life where I'm able to do the things that I want to do rather than a life where I'm simply existing, but I'm not 
living, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. Dana, where, where did this all start for you? Like, where, mm-hmm. you know, going back to before the diagnosis, like, where do you, what, what, are, the thi- what are the things that start to, uh, what are the things that start to happen, the things that you start to feel and notice that start to trigger the, the series of events that would then, like, eventually lead you to be diagnosed with this? So I had, as crazy as it sounds, I had no symptoms. Mm. Um, I was, and in hindsight, I'm looking back and I'm like, okay, yes, these things were symptoms. Mm. Like, for example, I had migraines for years and they were getting increasingly worse. Um, And every doctor I talked to, like GP, um, you know, whatever would be like, Oh, like they're menstrual migraines. Oh, your mom had migraines. Like it just makes sense. Like all, you know, like there's no reason to dig any deeper. Um, but about six months before I was diagnosed, I had this migraine that lasted for like 18 hours and I had no relief. I laid in my bed all day, tried to do everything they tell you to do for a migraine and nothing was working. And so eventually I just asked my boyfriend, I was like, I need to go to the hospital. Like something needs to give here because I can't like, this is enough. Um, and they gave me what they call a migraine cocktail, which is like Benadryl and some other drug that helps control the migraine, I guess. And they sent me home and I look back on that and I'm like, wow, like I wonder what would have happened if they would have done like a CT scan or something that day. Yeah. Um, but like at the same time, I'm like all of my neuro exams that they did were normal. Like nothing was else was off. So like there was not really any reason for them to, um, but essentially what happened was, uh, it was like a Sunday afternoon. Um, we were at home, like working, doing some work on the computer and it was like, you know, COVID. So we were, my partner and I are both working from home and we were doing some work on the computer together and we were shutting down because he was going to do a virtual like Dungeons and Dragons afternoon with his friends. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was just going to like go in the bedroom and like read my book, chill out before work. And as we were shutting down, I felt the left side of my face contort and freeze like completely. Oh my and God. And the same, same thing with my left hand. Um, and I could, I, remember having a thought in my head and I was like, oh, this is a really weird like thing that's going on right now. I'm sure it'll pass in a minute or two. And I could hear myself having this thought, but then I could hear my partner being like, Dana, what are you doing? Dana, what's wrong? Oh my God. And then I, the last thing I remember is uh, him like catching me falling out of the chair and seeing like this look of complete panic in his eyes and being like, baby, baby, what's wrong? Uh, and, and that's uh, all I remember. And then I, so I had a grand mal seizure. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and I remember I came to, as like our buzzer was ringing, like our phone was ringing to let the paramedics up. Um, and I remember waking up and being super confused because, um, my partner has really, really serious, um, like allergies, like anaphylaxis. And the only time like we've ever called 911 is if he's been having an anaphylactic reaction. So I thought he was having a reaction to something. Uh. And then I was on the floor and I saw these paramedics come in and they were like, you know, calling my name and saying all this stuff. And I was like, I was so confused and I had no idea what was going on. Um, and they were wearing these, sorry, go ahead. I I was going to say, I was expecting you to say that you just like viciously like grabbed for the nearest EpiPen and jabbed it into your partner. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. 
Thankfully, that didn't happen. I, was I actually, don't need that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no! I was, I, was, um, I was surprised it was a grand mal seizure because I thought that you could have gotten caught in the crossfire of the D&D game, like a, like an ice bolt could have like <laughs> yeah, right, came through yeah. and got you and just like froze you It completely. can be very real. Yeah, totally. yeah it, it yeah. feels very real it sometimes. Very real. Yes. But a seizure makes more sense probably in reality. Yeah. 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 When did it start to click for you that like, oh, wait, this isn't hit for him. This shit's for me. When the paramedics came and started like taking my vitals, um, I think they pumped me, like they gave me some sort of, like they gave me an anti-seizure medication, I think, I don't remember. And I remember they took me out to the stretcher in the hallway and I said to my partner, I said, I don't, I don't want to go with them. Like, I don't want to, like, I'm terrified. Like, I don't know what to do. And he said, do you trust me? And I said, yes. And he's like, okay, then trust me and go with them. Oh. And so I did. I went in the ambulance. They took me straight to the hospital, and my partner had to drive the car behind uh, because of COVID. Right, uh, right. Oh my God. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So yeah. in that in that experience, then you is this the you know is this one of those things where you know because some, someone who's never had a grand mal seizure before all of a sudden has one. I'm guessing that once you show up to the hospital in an ambulance with those symptoms, that the the process of like getting through to see specialists to figure out what the fuck is going on is like expedited greatly. Um, how soon after that experience and like rolling up to the hospital in the ambulance did you end up with a confirmed diagnosis of like there is a mass in your brain? I think it was, it was a while. I think it was about, it was the evening, I think at that point. And I went in around noon or one. So it was like a number of hours, like seven, eight hours, I think. Um, and most of this information, I don't remember it well because they had pumped me full of so many drugs to keep me mm -hmm. from having more seizures. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember, I think I was, FaceTiming with my partner, uh, whose name is Nick, um, and the whole time because he wasn't allowed to come back with me. And he was just sitting in the waiting room when we were just FaceTiming. And um, he was, I think he was on the phone with me when the neurologist came back and was like, yeah, so there is an abnormal mass in your brain. Um, we don't know what it is. Like we need more tests and we need more information. So, um, at that point they let, uh, Nick and my dad, who was also there in the waiting room, Nick had called my dad. Um, they let them both come back to be with me. Like they broke mm. all the COVID protocols so they could come back with me. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what that moment was like for you? I remember that both Nick and my dad were crying and I wasn't mm -hmm. because I remember like they said, like you have an abnormal mass in your brain. And I think my responses or what I've been told my response was, was just like pretty pragmatic. Like, okay, what does this mean? What are the next steps? Like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Um, and 
I like my, I don't remember the last time I saw my dad cry. Um, oh, so and sad dads sad are like, I know the fucking sad dads are the saddest. Hon- yeah. Honestly, like there's, the there's nothing that makes me more sad than seeing a dad. Like a choked sad. up dad trying to talk. Yeah. yeah it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, um, they shipped me off to another nearby hospital that had like a better neuro program. Um, so they could do more testing and get me connected with, a um, like a neurosurgeon. Um, and I spent eight days in the hospital by myself, um, on FaceTime pretty much the whole time. <laughs> I can't imagine like the, the, I mean, Jerry, you've, you've spent time, you spent, you know, a lot of time in the hospital, um, I spent some time in the hospital. Um, just the idea of not having somebody there with you. Oh, it's like, rough. Be That's able to have so visitors, rough. to be able to have, you know, people bring you, um, you know, food, food that doesn't food, suck, food that doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. And just have that just to know, I mean, like, cause I think you probably, you know that you've got support even if they're not there, but like it's, it's a game changer to have people there, especially mm. when you've got people, but they, and if, you, if they can't be there, like I can't imagine like the isol- the, like the feeling of isolation that that would have being in the hospital facing this, you know, this unknown, you know, you don't, you don't have all the answers to what's going on. You're probably doing, you know, tests and being evaluated and hooked up to, to things and, 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 you know, all you can do is, I guess, communicate via screen Ooh. with the people with the people in your family. Yeah. I remember when I was, like, with it enough, like, the next day, um, and I realized, like, what a crisis I was in. I – and I can't believe I did this at the time. First of all, I can't believe that I spent eight days in the hospital by myself in that way. And I had a surgery at that time, a brain surgery – which I can talk about more in a little bit, but um, I remember I got there and I woke up and I was like, you're not going to let me see anyone. Like you're not going to let me have any support in this like absolute crisis of Mm -hmm. a time. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, no. And like my mom had also flown in. She lives in Calgary and like, they weren't going to let me see her. And so I like, went balls to the wall. I was like, okay, get me the psychologist, get me the social worker. Like I needed, I need all the support I can have here. If you're not going to let me see my family. Yeah. Well, good for you. Um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I didn't know what else to do. And yeah. so the social worker was actually amazing. And she like snuck me into like one of those family rooms for like an hour so I could see my mom and oh. my boyfriend. So that was like amazing, like bless her soul for doing that. Did she sneak and then they you were, in by giving you a, uh, uh, like a, you know, one of those like sets of glasses that have the, the wonky <laughs> nose and the mustache, you know, like some sort of disguise. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, just yeah. taking this, just taking this Eugene Levy yeah. Yeah, to, right. to the, to the children's <laughs> wing. I was thinking invis- yeah. invisibility cloak. Yeah, yeah. That would be more effective. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, they didn't so, do that, I guess. <laughs> I, if they did, you know, I have no memory uh, of it. So, so w- at what point do you, what point do you like, uh, do you, you know, they, they, they go, okay, you've got a mass in your brain. Obviously that's a, that's not a good thing. So, yeah. so are, 
are things like kind of sped along pretty quickly in terms of like, how do we treat this? What's the next step? Um, what do they, what do they do to, to mitigate this, this issue that, that is in front of you and, and them? So, um, they did an MRI and, um, they did an MRI with contrast and the neurosurgeon came back and said, you know what, like the um, tumor didn't take up a lot of the contrast dye. So therefore we think it is a like low grade, potentially benign tumor. And I was like, cool, like that's great. Like it's just gonna need surgery and a little bit of radiation and we're like, good to go. Um, and I also, I don't know if I mentioned, but like the, um, I have two tumor sites the largest of which is the size of a lemon. So big guy in there. Interesting. Interesting. Now we recently were talking about this. That's right. Tumor sizes. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything we've heard on the podcast for the last six years has always been uh, tumor sizes that are, that are compared to the size of regulation balls in sports. Ah. So whether that be a squash ball or a, basketball or a football and weird fruit ball. is usually reserved for babies baby sizes right yes. sure so yeah. it's the size of a grape it's the size of a yeah. an avocado banana yeah. or like they a don't, watermelon like it's very rare like it's 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 very rare for us to hear that they use the language that it was a fruit a lemon. just in the same way that it's very rare for them to say your baby is the size but I'm gonna of a say basketball. I'm going to say this, though. <laughs> the lemon, the lemon uh, analogy makes way more sense to me because it falls into that whole thing, like, you know, when life gives you lemons or whatever. Because yeah, like, um, like, yeah, the last time I ever heard someone say, when life gives you a squash ball, fucking squash. smash it. Like, or, you know, like, I don't, like... <laughs> that fits. That fits, too. That I would guess, be yeah. much better than make a lemonade. You know, when, some, I, I, when life gives you a basketball, dunk it. See, I, you know? I actually have, I have a... Uh, uh, personal problem with the fruit thing because oh, I think that it, there's far too much variability in fruit sizes. That's for also them to true. Say yeah. That this is the size of it because a but fruit it, oh, also grows from oh. a seed into that fruit, that's so it right. could be like sort of any size. At what along stage the way. are we talking about? Talk, like, so like, is be, it ripe yet? Like, is that would, the question? That's you're what I would be saying. How ripe, How is, ripe this is this lemon? lemon and compared to most lemons Dana, that you would get, please forgive it, us. Is this a GMO lemon or <laughs> or is this like an organic? Yeah, organic lemon or GMO? Because I know exactly how big a golf ball is. Yes, you know? yeah, it's always the same size. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So you had a lemon size at one point. Was the did they compare the other the you had a second point? Did they compare the size of that one? No, they didn't. Um, could have been anything. I think it was smaller. Great. The lemon, great. though, very ripe. 
probably on the larger side of the lemon family. That's yeah. fucking huge. A lemon is like pretty big. It's a Look at your head. Size. Like you've got a normal lady size head. <laughs> it's not like, like you have a fucking normal human head. A lemon yeah. is large. Yeah, like, that they really large... pack those fuckers in there. Like whatever makes <laughs> tumors, I guess. Like they really squeeze them into <laughs> your they, body because they you don't really <laughs> whoever pack makes them, them in. <laughs> the, but, those but actually, tumor makers, they know how to pack those things in there. There's deep. so much shit going on in there. Like I'm, I'm assuming um, you have like a big brain because you're, you seem like a smart you person. Do, you do so, so very smart. So, uh, yeah. so like there's a lot of brain stuff going on there that's sort of squeezing it all into one place, right? So like would, it's like yeah. not like lemon size just sitting on the surface of your head. It's like lemon size packed in there. But that's also ultimately what get, what gave you the seizure, right? Is the size of yeah. like because yeah, the size the size of it is is it gets big like the mass gets big enough to where. Its size is putting pressure on yeah. a part of your brain. That this is forces. an example where size does matter very much. Size very yeah. yeah. Size yeah. does matter with grand mal seizures. So, um, so they they tell you sorry. So you have the two, you have two tumor sites. So they're are they are they together? Are they like close to each other, or are they in different parts of the brain? And like, and where where are they? Because we through just our this is something that we don't know this because we're smart people. We're, we're, we know this because people have to, other people have told us this, that when you have brain tumors, depending, their, like their operability is very location right. dependent. Right. And we did our own research. So this is what <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. very do your own research people. <laughs> um, so, sorry, you're just asking about, uh, my memory is not good. Um um about like the location and how operable yeah, it was yeah, and yeah. like the look okay yeah. um yeah so the the largest tumor i don't know like the the names of the different like lobes of your brain but it was on uh the right side and like kind of in the middle here mm-hmm. um and then there is another one closer to like the midline like the center um but it was they're relatively close together but they were separated by healthy brain matter um so um, they did a biopsy um, because they they thought on the MRI that it was um, just based on the MRI that it was maybe a low-grade tumor. But um, as we know, glioblastoma is like the highest grade of, of tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, they did a biopsy um, and it came back originally because they just um, like the biopsy. It's like only an hour long surgery. Like it's not very involved, but unfortunately because like it's, it's your brain, they have to put you completely under and everything. I would hope. Yeah. Um, yeah so they just take a small amount um, of the, the tumorous tissue out and it initially came back as a grade three astrocytoma. Um, so, you know, the life expectancy for that is, you know, it's a little bit better. It's like two to three years maybe. Um, but, um, the protocol for treating is essentially the same. Mm -hmm. So once it came back as cancer, I didn't know it was going to be cancer. Like I thought that it was probably going to be benign because that's what they told me in the hospital initially. Once I found out it was cancer, that's when everything like started happening immediately. Like, and it was, COVID. So like I was not on any wait lists. They got me in like as soon as they could for like surgery, testing, um, you know, everything that needed to be done was done so fast. Mm. Um, and, um, when you mentioned, you know, operability, um, my radiation oncologist was the one who actually, you know, said the words to me like, yes, you do have cancer. Um, and he told me that it wouldn't, 
be likely that I'd be able to have more surgery to remove it um, because of its location and its size, um, because they figured that it would paralyze me completely on my entire left mm. side if they tried to remove it. Oh. However, this was before he talked to any neurosurgeon. And turns out that it was like completely incorrect. Like I got a call from a neurosurgeon the same week and he's like, no, I've done tons of these surgeries and like, we think you're a good candidate. And I think it's really dangerous for you to have radiation if you don't have surgery. (laughs) Wow. What an emotional roller coaster to be, to be, well, first to have, for them to have mentioned benign and then, and then you go forward, then you realize it's not benign, it's malignant. And then to be told, uh, you know, we don't think we can operate on this and mm. then we can operate on this. And yeah. like, in fact, we kind of need to. And on to top of all that, just being alone. You know? uh, yeah. 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 I mean, that is yeah. like, like, again, the alone thing, like I just, I can't, I can't like stress enough the, like just the, the, the like to, to not overlook the part of being alone and like the impact that COVID has had on, on you know people all over Canada, all over the U.S., all over the world, who are going in for you know like really scary things and are in the hospital and being treated and can't have can't have the support that they would otherwise outside yeah. of this mm-hmm. pandemic world. I mean, like it's 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 brutal. I mean, I went to the emergency room. Uh, I went to the emergency room with my partner once this year, and not being able to go in with her, it was like. Yeah, it was, it, it's crushing. Yeah. Right? And, and then, you're, and you, you know, take a situation like yours, which is, you know, yeah. life-threatening. Well, one of the things that I want to just, uh, um, just throw in here is that uh, as this is a live show, uh, one, of the, one of the great things about the process of doing this is that, uh, you know, you, the listener, the viewer, um, it, are a part of the process as well. So oftentimes the three of us, we do what we do, and, and you know, sometimes in these conversations, we don't ask the questions that maybe someone at home is like itching to, to know. So if anybody, uh, on the, the stream has a question, uh, you can just click over to the ask a question button, leave a question there, and we will be sure to hit those as we go along. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious, Dana, you know, after, after going through the process of, of finding all this out, is there, like, is there a conversation that needs to be had, you know, about whether or not you want to go through with the surgeries and the treatment with your medical team? Is that a conversation that you have with your your partner and your family? Or, like, are you the type of person that's just like, whatever you say, Doc, get the fuck in there if you have to, and, and let's go to town on this thing and, and hit it with everything we've got? I think initially, as I was going through it, especially within my first hospitalization, I didn't realize that I actually had agency in Mm. deciding in what I wanted to do. Because um, once I realized, you know, that I actually was a candidate for surgery, people started calling and canceling and rescheduling appointments that I had for like uh, radiation and chemo and stuff for after my surgery. And I was like, 
well, I haven't even decided to have surgery yet. Like what is going on? And people just kept talking to me and saying, well, after your surgery, this will happen. And after your surgery, that will happen. And I was so overwhelmed and confused. And like, we hadn't, you know, like we didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. And so, um, because we'd been through, like you said, this roller coaster of you can have surgery, you can't have surgery. It's benign. It's malignant. It's stage three, like, you know, whatever. And, um, so, um, I remember speaking to my neurosurgeon on the phone and he gave me kind of like the pro con list of why I should have the surgery. And he said, I really highly recommend that you have this surgery. Um, and he gave me the list of the reasons why he thought he could get about 50% of the largest tumor, um, which without like, you know, leaving me with any permanent deficits. Mm. Um, and he gave me like a list of the risks and, and whatever. And, um, he was the first person to say to me, it's up to you. Take the weekend, think about it. Someone will call you on Monday with a date for your surgery. If you decide to go ahead with it. And I was like, Oh my God, like, you're right. I don't have to do this if I don't want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, it was, you know, the risk benefit, like the pro con, um, the benefits definitely outweighed the risks for me. So, um, I, it was no pun intended, but it was a no brainer. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. We hit it. We hit it. I I mean, but but like, it is, it is one of those things like you, you just saying that right there just made me think about all the past guests that we've spoken to who have had, uh, cancer, different types of cancer, right? So like Mm -hmm. osteosarcomas or, or leukemias or what, like whatever. And like when it comes to cancers that um, where surgery is the, is like on the table for an option, you know, let's use osteosarcoma for example. So someone has a, someone has a tumor growing in the bone in the femur of their leg and, and the doctors say, we need to do surgery on this. And if we, you know, if the margins aren't hit, uh, the way that we expect it to be, then there's like a good chance that we're going to have to amputate your leg. And this is something that you have to live with. Versus hearing, okay, you have a tumor in your brain and we're going to go into your brain to try to remove as much of this tumor as we can. And again, I'm not a doctor, but my guess is that uh-huh. like uh, on that list of risks is like, you know, you could come out of that surgery without the ability to speak, Mm -hmm. without the ability to move your entire body, without the ability to, um, to remember anything that you've gone through in your entire 24 years of life. Like, like the, the, I'm not, I'm not questioning your, um, Dana, I hope you don't take it this way. I'm not questioning your, your calculation on like risks outweighing the, the benefit outweighing the risks. But it, but it is it, it is one of those situations where like yeah there's a, there's a lot of thought to go into that because mm-hmm. I, because I think if I was going to put myself in your shoes, the notion of losing my leg, as fucking annoying as that would be in life and and awful and a huge shift, I would take that over losing my ability to like properly communicate with my loved ones. You know like yeah. that like that's such a but is, it's such a scary what situation. I'm, to what find I'm hearing, there. what I'm hearing from you, from from your explanation of that, Dana, is like, 
that just that, you know, even though you said it's a no brainer and, it, and, and it's like, the, you know, the benefits outweigh the risks that just having that conversation with that doctor and being, and, and, and someone finally acknowledging that you have a choice, like just being told like, this is up to you instead, because you're going through this thing and it's, and it probably feels like, you know, my life is now in your hands like the, the medical team and all these different people that are, you know, suggesting different things and, and, and coming up with the, the course of action that it, even though you go, you know, you, you go with it, it, it must, it must be a good feeling to finally feel that you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're being given back a choice. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it was the best decision I could have made because he, um, like he's, this doctor was freaking Doogie Hauser, I swear to you. Like he, <laughs> he was like 35 Real and he Patrick only, Harris. yeah, he only operates on like brain tumors. He doesn't do like any like other types of brain surgery. And he'd mm-hmm. done like hundreds of surgeries like this before. And he actually removed more of the tumor than he initially estimated without leaving me with any sort of deficits. I remember mm-hmm. like waking up, I remember leaving my apartment at like five in the morning to go to the hospital and thinking this might be the last time that I see this place. Mm. And when I woke up from that surgery and I wiggled both my toes and felt both my legs, I was just, I just started crying and all the nurses were like, Oh my God, what's wrong? Are you in pain? Like what's going on? And I told them that I could move my legs and they were like, okay, like, yeah, that's good. We know like, okay. And then I, asked uh one of the student nurses if she wanted to go run a 5k with me later that day so <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. i'm going Did, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to join i wanted to ask about like the the this agency the idea of agency and i i think that this idea is would be different or unique for everybody who's going through making a big decision uh about their health you know in a in a hospital setting obviously you have so many family members or loved ones that that also you know, have an, probably have an opinion of what you should do. And they're sort of probably weighing in to, I'm guessing. And I wonder how you take into consideration what um, your loved ones think is the best decision for you and how you sort of, how you sort of come to terms of what you think is best compared to what they think is best. And maybe in your situation, it was, everybody was just on the same page. But I imagine that it's really like something I've been thinking about since we, since you started um, telling your story is that, you know, oftentimes what we hear when guests come in and share their stories with us is that it's sometimes harder for their loved ones to process what they're going through than it is for the person who's actually living with the illness to do it. Because, you know, you feel like you have some, some type of agency, you know, the illness is happening within your body, uh, your, you are getting all of the information from the doctors, so you're, you know, up to date with everything. But sometimes your loved ones aren't, and so there's this weird sort of like balance of like trying to be the patient, but also providing care for your loved ones at the same time. So I'm wondering when it when it comes to making those decisions, like for you making the decision about surgery, how do you balance the perspectives or opinions that you know your mom and your dad and your partner? have about what you should do 
Honestly, I was really fortunate in that there wasn't a whole lot of like competing opinions Mm -hmm. um, because glioblastoma is so um, aggressive and the life expectancy is um, so short um, on paper. The, it was really um, like your, your chances, I guess, are a lot worse if you're not able to remove any of it with surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so you take what you can out with surgery and then you do the radiation and the chemo to hopefully, you know, extend your life for as long as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. I, my partner and I have had to have so many of those conversations about what, what we think is best and what he thinks is best and what I think is best. And, you know, my parents as well, but, um, honestly, like, especially my partner and I have been on the same page about everything pretty much. Like it's always been a conversation, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that's why we're a good pair because, you know, it's, you know, he has been supportive of everything that I have wanted to do and not that he's disagreed, but he's been absolutely supportive of what I wanted to do from the start. He's like, if Mm. you, you know, one of the first questions they ask is, you know, do you want to do fertility treatments? Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a conversation we had to have. Um, and, um, I said, no, and we were both kind of like, you know, it wasn't a a conflict or it wasn't anything like that. And then it was like, do you want to have the surgery? And we both, you know, we both have master's degrees. And so we're very much about like the data and like the actual risk, cost benefit analysis, statistics, whatever. And, um, you know, uh, so, and we've had the conversation about like, you know, physician assisted death, like what would that look like? And Mm. he's my, um, he's like the executor of my will. So he has to make any decisions, like all the decisions about end of life care have already been made by me, but he just has to carry them out. And, you know, he's like, whenever you want to stop, if you know, you have a recurrence of, of the cancer and you need to go back on chemo and do radiation. If you don't want to do that, like he's a hundred percent supportive of that, mm-hmm. um, which is huge for me. It, in um, terms wow. of this, like this, this uh, ability to communicate with your partner about mm-hmm. these types of things. Like, did, did you guys, did, have you guys like modeled your, your communication skills after anyone that you know or in your life? Or like, have you talked to anyone in your life about how to have these types of conversations specifically with your partner? Or, or it, have you guys always really just kind of had that type of relationship and when you're throw, flung into this type of situation, it's like you, they're the, they're the conversations that have to be had. So you just kind of go for it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, my partner is, uh, more of the talker in the relationship than I am. Um, he worked as a, an, a youth addictions counselor for a number of years. So he, mm-hmm is really good with communicating in that way. And I, you know, whenever there's like, we do have a conflict or, you know, even pre-cancer, like whenever there's a conflict or anything is happening, um, he wants to talk about it right away and resolve it. And I'm like, I need time to like get my thoughts together and think about what I want to say. So, Mm. um, you know, and I think these were just questions and conversations that I think we needed, we both knew we needed to have in order to like live like a quote unquote, like normal life together, because 
it's like the huge elephant in the room. That's like, if we don't talk about these things, like we can't ignore them because I'm going to die very likely sooner than my partner, unless, you know, I get hit by a bus tomorrow or whatever the analogy is. And so, um, it was just, again, like, unfortunately it was just like one of those things we just like had to have those conversations because like I, and especially for me, like, I don't want anyone else to have to make those really, really difficult decisions about the end of my life. Like I don't want to put that burden on somebody. Mm. Um, so I made all those decisions and, you know, we talked about them obviously. And I told him what I wanted and, you know, all that stuff and my parents as well. And, uh, so yeah. Yeah. We've been, we've been talking a lot about like the, statistical shortened life expectancy um but we haven't really gotten into the emotional like what is it really like to contemplate your own mortality um i know like as somebody who hasn't uh lived with a terminal illness or had a diagnosis that you know results in a shortened life expectancy when i think about my own mortality it's hard for me to not imagine living to old age whatever that is um so like i feel like it's hard to really think about what it's like to die until you're faced with um something like this maybe that's not true but but i'm curious how that has how how, what has that been like for you to really think about what it will be like to die oh man um at first Like, I think the whole process has been like a grieving process. Like I've been grieving my own life in a way. Um, And at first, like, obviously it was maybe not obviously, but it was really, really difficult. Like I remember the day I was diagnosed with cancer, I just came home and we sat on the couch and that day felt like the end of my life. Like I felt Mm -hmm. like I could not go on after that day. Um, and I felt so angry for a long time. I'm like, I'm a good person. I'm nice to other people. I, you know, I do everything I can in my life to be a good person. Um, and I just couldn't come to terms with like, why me? Like, why is this happening to me Mm -hmm. of all people? And I think as I went through, you know, surgery and chemo and radiation, um, I, I lost a lot of my independence at that time. Um, after my first surgery, my biopsy, I wasn't, I had a whole lot of restrictions. Like I was on seizure watch 24 seven and I like couldn't do anything pretty much. Like I couldn't drive. Um, after you have a seizure, you have to be seizure free for six months before you're allowed to drive a car again for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to be like babysat a hundred percent of the time because they wanted someone around knowing what to do. If I had another seizure, I wasn't allowed to do anything that might bring on a seizure, like increasing my heart rate. So like any type of exercise, hot baths, um, getting stressed out. Um, and so Um, you know, and even when I was in the hospital, like I had to use a walker to get around. I had to be supervised by a nurse every time I had to get up to pee. Mm. Um, and 
when I was going through radiation, um, the protocol for treating um, malignant brain tumors is you do concurrent chemotherapy and radiation therapy. So you take an oral chemo pill an hour before you go in for radiation for six weeks straight. And during that time, I have never been so sick in my life. Mm. And it was like, imagine having the worst flu of your entire life, but having it last for like two months. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was awful. And that's not a strong enough word. And so I started, I think during this time, like having these experiences, realizing like I, there was a time I remember I was laying in bed and I was so sick. And I said to my partner, I said, if this is going to be the rest of my life, like I do not want to live like this. And I think that was a huge part of like coming to terms with like, yeah, okay, I'm going to die earlier than I ever expected. But that doesn't mean that in the time that I am around, I can't have a great quality of life. And quality of life is something that is really important to me. Yeah. And I, that is something that I value over like the length of my life. And so it's been a lot of conversations with family, friends, therapists. <laughs> um, but I just, I don't want to live my life feeling sorry for myself for the time that I'm alive. And, and, you know, I do have bad days obviously where I'm like, well, fuck this, like absolutely fuck this. But, and you know, days where I'm like, I miss my job. I miss my hair. I miss, this is a wig by the way. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's it's a fucking phenomenal wig. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. And I, I think it's just, We've talked about it so much. Like we've talked it to death. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just like something that's like a normal part of our vocabulary now. It has yeah. to be because there's nothing we can do that's to right. put the brakes on it. And yeah. I'd rather it be a normal conversation and something that we can joke about rather than being sad every freaking time. Like yeah. the topic of my mortality mm-hmm. comes up and, you know, it does, it is difficult sometimes. Like we're looking at buying a house right now and our budget is something that's like got to be a fixer upper. And it, it kind of made me emotional because I'm like, how long am I going to get to live in this fixer upper? Like mm. what if it's not fixed up fixed by the time I up. die? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Plus you live like so. in BC. So like you're looking at like, <laughs> You're looking at like $12 million for a <laughs> yeah, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sp- speaking of, uh, of quality of life, um, I know that you, you sort of have a bucket list. Um, and uh, can, we, can we talk about some of the things that are on that list? Uh, things yeah. that you've checked off, things that you hope to check off? Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's like a bucket list per se, but like there are definitely things like when I was diagnosed, I was like, these are things that I need to do now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the first thing we did was got a puppy. Fuck yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wait, what um, type of puppy? A cockapoo, cocker oh spaniel pool Oh my pool God, cross. they're so fucking cute. <laughs> what the yeah. the comments. Um, <laughs> Not as cute as a golden retriever, but uh, yeah, that's mm, nice. Uh, that's yeah. biased. <laughs> biased. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so we got a dog, we got a puppy, but we got a puppy at the height of like like my sickest point. So like, it was great. Like, I love that we have her now, but like 10 out of 10 worst timing. Yeah. Uh, right. Ever. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, like it's great. Like she gives me a reason to, you know, get out every morning, go Mm -hmm. for a walk and all my friends love her. So they all want to meet up and like bring her places and we get to like go on trails and hikes and like, you know, it was huge in terms of, um, getting out into the world again, like after being sick for so long and during COVID and being so Mm -hmm. isolated, Mm -hmm. um, I got a massive, not a massive, but I got a big tattoo, um, that I had been like really, I have loved tattoos always and I have like little small ones, but I was so focused on like, what if like whatever job I get, like they don't, they're not into that. Or what if that prevents me from, you know, whatever. I was so like career focused and (laughs) I know, and now I'm not, I don't, I'm, I don't work. Um, so I did that. I got a pretty big tattoo. Um, what was the, what was the tattoo? It's, um, I don't know if you'll be able to see it. Which arm is it on this one? Oh yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, look at that. All the way. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sweet. sweet. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love that. And, um, yeah, we were looking at buying. Um, we're looking at buying on the island, actually, uh, Vancouver Island. Um, but it's proving, again, like it's proving a lot harder than because yeah. mm. it's so expensive. Um, and... Yeah, I just I have MRIs every three months, and my MRIs have been stable up till this point since I finished treatment, which yay. means like, yay, <laughs> nothing's growing and everything is kind of like there's no new tumors and the yeah. current tumors that are there aren't growing anymore. So I live my life in three month increments. I have the MRI, I get the results, and if they're good, I forget about it and mm-hmm. go back to right, my life. Right. So that's well, sweet. The, the the good thing too about a glioblastoma is that. Um, we've only done this once, but we had a, uh, we granted an adult wish, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. and, uh, the only winner, a hundred percent of the winners have had glioblastoma. So that's right. If we ever so have if another, we do another one, we do another stats one. Are good. Yeah. This, like it yeah. is looking really stats good. Stats don't mean shit, but the, the, they are good in that case. Yeah. So in terms right. of like oh, bucket amazing. list, like think, think um, as big as you can. So look, I, I, I really, I mean, speaking about death and, 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 um, you know, contemplating mortality and and trying to trying to normalize this conversation as much as as much as we possibly can, which I think we're we're doing that in the process of having this conversation here. I, I really do want to play a game of death deck before we we wrap up. But before we get to that, uh, we had a couple questions come in uh, from listeners uh, along with uh, some puppy love. So there was uh, there was someone sent an emoji, a puppy emoji with a heart emoji. Oh. Everyone loves a puppy, um, but uh, we have one question 100%. from uh, from Ibrahim Al Samari, uh, who said, and this might be a tough question. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to chime in or not, Dana. But um, yeah, I have some stuff here that in terms of like Nova Scotia health. Uh, are there centers for early diagnosis of some cases that your guest experienced in your country? Um, so I, I guess the question is like, are there centers for early diagnosis of glioblastoma in Canada? Um, do you know anything about like early diagnosis of brain cancer and, and, and programs that exist for that? Not really, unfortunately, because you have to, like, they're not like the thing is, is, you know, if you go to your doctor complaining of a migraine, they're not Mm -hmm. just going to automatically send you for a CT. Unfortunately, like your symptoms, have to develop enough, um, for, for them to like do any sort of like imaging that would show a a glioblastoma or whatever type of brain tumor. Mm -hmm. So, um, not that I'm aware of unless, 
it was like a fluke for another, like if you were in a car accident and they found an right. early yeah. tumor or something yeah. like those crazy things you see on Grey's Anatomy or whatever. Yeah. Brian's um, favorite show. I totally know what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, so, I mean, to, you know, to answer the, the question from, from our perspective, um, also I, I'm with you. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think in Canada there's, there's any like prevention slash screening centers for brain cancer. I know yeah. that here in Nova Scotia, uh, there are there are three organized cancer screening programs. One is cervical cancer prevention, yeah. colon cancer prevention, and breast can- breast screening program. So I think these are like these are the the cancers that are typically very common, depending on your gender or your age, right? So, like for the for the colon cancer, for example, this is really interesting. I didn't know this until I started kind of looking this up when. Uh, Abraham asked this question, but uh, colon cancer prevention, the program here in Nova Scotia, um, the way you access that program is if you are re- a resident of Nova Scotia between the ages of 50 and 74 and have a valid MSI health card, so it's a, our, our provincial health card, uh, you will automatically be mailed a kit. The kit will be mailed out just after your 50th birthday. So you get a sweet no little birthday oh. gift from, uh, from uh, the Nova Scotia Health. Hey, you're 50. And every two years following that, and, that colon. and this is sent automatically. You don't need to request one. And so the, the, um, if you're not in this age range or have concerns or possible warning signs of colon cancer, please talk to your family doctor or health care provider about what's right for you. In terms of breast See, cancer... D- this, is, this is exactly what I hate, though, because at first the government started making us wear masks. And oh, now, get the oh, fuck out of here, Brian. Now they think they can start sending out <laughs> medical-related test kits uh, you, to us on our birthdays. This you. is... Just in, is just, just, just in case anybody out totally there is deaf to sarcasm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to make sure that that's clear. The, <laughs> the, breast, the breast cancer uh, imaging guidelines, uh, screening uh, mammography self-referral, so the Canadian Association of Radiologists uh, National Standards and Guidelines for Breast Screening recommend ma- uh, mammogra- mammography screenings for asymptomatic women at least 40 years of age. So you have to be minimum 40 no new breast symptoms, no breast implants, no personal history of breast cancer, minimum one year since previous mammogram. So, like, a- again, these, these, these prevention screening centers exist, but it seems like they only exist for very specific types of cancers, and there's, like, stipulations that exist that, you know, if you don't fall under the parameters, then mm. you... They're not... It's not something that's constantly happening all the time for everyone, right? So I think there's yeah. a lot of like, like, like you mentioned, Dana. Like, if you, if you know, the, the, there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of things that you might, you might never, you, you, you might not be able to get an early diagnosis of something in the mm-hmm. absence of, uh, of like an accident. Like, I, I remember I got hit by a car and I got and I was in the hospital and you know I had every fucking test and imaging thing done to me and I remember having the thought, like, I wonder if I have cancer and yeah. they'll catch it now. Oh, I mean, that's like our friend Brandon. He, you know, yeah. Brandon was working out at a gym and accidentally dropped a dumbbell on his leg, injured his leg. Turns out he injured the exact leg that he had a crazy osteosarcoma growing mm-hmm. in. Yeah. You know, wow. so, it, so it's one of those things where I, I don't think it's very common. Um, 
uh, unless, you, again, you fall into those parameters within those specific types of cancers. We have another question from uh, actually one of our patrons, one of our favorite humans on the planet, Darren. Uh, Darren has said... For the said, boys, 2021. Uh, 2021, Darren. Uh, our, by the way, Darren, we're still working on that OnlyFans, and it's coming at you real soon. Um, so he asked, has your relationship with the authority of medical professionals changed? It sounds like there was one doctor who outrightly encouraged your self-advocacy in this process. So I can imagine that was a destabilizing experience in trust. Can you repeat that question, yes, I please? can, I can. So has, has, your, has your relationship with the authority of medical professionals changed? Because it sounds like there was just only one doctor out of everyone mm -hmm. that you saw who was the one who encouraged your own self-advocacy. And so right. within the process of only one doctor really kind of giving you that, that option, Darren's imagining that this, this experience was, was something that kind of destabilized your trust in the medical community. Yeah. Um, I think that is accurate. Um, I had a number of um, difficult disappointing to horrible experiences with medical professionals in the hospital. Um, and, you know, I think for people it's when you hear someone has, you know, like a lay person who's not a doctor who hears you have glioblastoma, it's really difficult to know what to say, but like as a um, medical professional, like you should know like how to handle that information. And so I mentioned that when I was in the hospital, the first time I requested like a social worker, a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whatever. And, um, I remember a psychiatry resident came in to talk to me and I was like, what do I have to do to see a loved one? Like I will leave against medical advice. I will not eat. I will refuse treatment, like whatever I have to do. And the psychiatrist literally said to me, if you leave here now, you'll just go home and die. Wow. Whoa. So, and like, I remember I was also at one point I was sitting and waiting, um, literally to go into surgery. Like I was prepped for surgery. I was waiting in the waiting room and this, I don't know what her role is. She must've been like an orderly or something. I don't even know if that's still like a current term, but. Yeah. I um, watched Grey's Anatomy too. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. She looked at my chart and she saw like what I was like, obviously had a brain tumor and whatever. And at this point I didn't even know if I had cancer yet. And she looked at my chart and she looked me in the eyes and she said, Oh man, maybe in your next life you'll have a better one. Oh, Whoa. Whoa. and I was like, Oh, I was alone. And I like just found out I had a brain tumor like five days earlier. And I was in tears because I was about to go into a full brain surgery by myself and I didn't even know what to say. This was, hold on, who was this? This was the nurse? I don't Somebody think she was had... a nurse. I think she was someone who was just like there to make sure like my name matched my, or like my arm bracelet right. matched my chart or something. That's a nurse. Um, you should have pissed yourself and went, oopsie. Oh, I need to be I, changed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my geez. God. Jeremy's just tossing out really good advice. That's what I would have thought. You know, it's a staggering, no, no, it's a no, staggering no. reminder. Oopsie, I pooped. We put, we oh. put, we tend to put, um, I, I think physicians in particular, like up on a pedestal and, you know, mm. but, but the reality is in the, in this, this is exactly that, a staggering reminder of that all the people that make up these positions that do all these jobs are human 
and humans have an amazing capacity to be wonderful and horrible. Yeah. And uh, and and regardless of the fact that they've gone th- that they've gone through whatever education that they've gone through to be in the place that they are, they everybody has shortcomings. And I don't say that in the way that's like, hey, you know, give them a break. They're human. I mean yeah. it in the sense that like. At the end of the day, everybody is a person, and persons are have massive faults and shortcomings. And there's like there's just always an opportunity to 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 do that better. To yeah. to you know like for that for that psychiatrist. I mean, like that. I I, I can only hope that twenty years down the line, they're st- if they're still in that career that they look back on that moment and go, Duh. I can't believe that this is something that I said to somebody in my career mm-hmm. and that and I, like, and that I hopefully they learn from that mistake. Also as a mental health professional, me yeah. threatening to leave against medical advice and not eat should tell you something about the state of my mental well being. Yeah. You would think yeah. like, yeah. but you know, I think it's just meant that I have, learned, I've learned really hard how to advocate for myself. Um, I don't, you know, put up with BS anymore. Um, especially for medical professionals who should, you know, read my chart before they call me to book me in for an appointment. And then they're like, Oh, what are you coming in for? Like, what surgery are you coming in for? I'm like, read my chart, please like do your job. (laughs) So I think, um, knowing that I have the agency to make decisions for myself and to advocate for myself against doctors who I don't feel comfortable with. Like, I don't, you know, like I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do. And I don't Mm -hmm. have to entrust my care to anyone who I don't want to entrust it to. Yeah. I want to, before we, um, segue into this, uh, uh, game of death deck, uh, because we were just talking about communicating, uh, healthcare workers communicating with patients and um, the death deck is obviously about us communicating about death. I, I wanted to ask uh, what the conversations have been like with your friends when mm. you talk about what it's like to live with a terminal diagnosis. Um, I imagine that there's a whole range of different uh, responses to that, but what has it been like for you? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, there have been a huge range of responses. My really, really close friends who I've known for years and who are, you know, my closest friends have been really, really supportive, um, and are, are able to joke with me when I want to joke about death and cancer stuff. And, um, you know, they don't, I think, for all of us, it took a little while to get there, but like, they don't get awkward when I'm like, Oh, this sucks. Or like, Oh, you know, this is a difficult conversation that I had to have with Nick about something like I can talk about openly about these things. And then, um, other friends are like, you always get those people who are like those when you, cause I post publicly on my Instagram and social media about, um, my diagnosis, a lot of it is because it's really exhausting to tell people individually about totally, like yeah, what's yeah, going on. Yeah. So I just put it all out there for people to read and respond as they so choose. And then it gives mm-hmm. me the choice to share what I want to. Um, but then you get those people who like you knew in high school and they just like come crawling yeah. out <laughs> and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Like I'm praying <laughs> for you. And like, we were best friends and I can't believe this. And I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like you're here for like 
you know, the grief tourism and, you know, yeah. it's okay. You can <laughs> yeah. move on. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, tourism, you know, it's, yeah. It's That's like those funny. people who want to say that they like wished you well so they can like cry at your funeral and be like, my friend died of brain cancer. And it's yes. like about them and not yeah. about me. Yeah. Um, so those my people close- need to go to therapy. They would, learn, <laughs> yeah. they would learn a lot about themselves, <laughs> I think. So, you know, my really, really close friends who I've known for ages and who, who know me like really well, who I could, you know, commit a crime with and they wouldn't tell anyone. That's a good friend. They're, yeah. And they're the people who I can talk about death with and like they, whether or not they're uncomfortable, they don't let me know it. And they're the ones who like, if like at the drop of a hat, if I needed anything, they would be there. Like I recently went on a trip with a friend, um, up in uh, Nanaimo and I was going to go down to Victoria and I was just going to take a bus. And like, my best friend was like, no, it's okay. I'll just drive up from Victoria and come pick you up in Nanaimo. I'm like, that's an hour and a half drive. She's like, no, it's fine. It's a nice drive. (laughs) So like, those are the type of people who Mm. like are like not phased by, I mean, not Mm. unfazed, obviously it's not like they're like, ah, okay. Brain tumor. Yeah. Whatever. But, um, you know, they're they're matching your energy. Yeah. A hundred percent. And they're the ones who, if I, you know, lose my train of thought or mess up a sentence or do whatever they're like, or if someone who's not me, they're like, do you have a brain tumor too? Like, is it, is your brain tumor (laughs) talking or getting worse as we have this conversation? So, um, yeah, it is, it has to be the right type of person. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's do, let's do a round, uh, or two of death deck. Fuck yeah. With Dana. Um, we'll start with Dana. So Dana, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read to you, um, uh, the card and then the, uh, they're, they're both uh, multiple choice. So I'll read you the multiple choices and then we'll guess what your thoughts are. And then you based solely on the one hour we've spent with you and then, uh, and then we will, uh, We'll see, we'll see how it works out. So, uh, open caskets. A, help me get some closure with a final meaningful goodbye. B, are fine if it's what the family wants. Or C, kind of creep me out. I want to remember the person in their living state. So I think this is less about open cast, like your option for an open casket, or you could apply it to that as well. But the idea of open caskets in general Help you get some closure with the fu- with a final meaningful goodbye. Are fine if that's what everybody wants, or kind of creep you out. Are we guessing what Dana? We're now going to guess what Dana okay. would say to that. I I'm guessing that Dana is fine if that's what everybody wants. Okay, Tay. That's a tough one. Uh, it's hard not to project myself. <laughs> right, this. I know, right? Don't, uh, don't guess, Dana. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with uh, fine as well. I'm gonna go with kind of creep me out. I want to remember the person in their living state. Yeah, uh, I agree with Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. I, That's I, how I feel. I, that, that is also how I feel. But I see, wasn't projecting. I'm, I'm, I, I think that I'm the. Uh, if I'm fine with it, if everybody wants it. But uh, but I also find that uh, we are really uncomfortable with the dead, and so I think that there should be open caskets. But I don't think we should put clown makeup on the people. Yes, dude, one hundred percent. You yes. couldn't have said that better. Because yeah. that's because because when you go to a funeral, and there's an open casket, 
and you look at the person and you go, you know, that's not them. Yeah. They look like Pennywise every time. <laughs> oh, they always look like Pennywise it's coming so, out of the sewer. It's so it's so. <laughs> Did you ever go to an open casket funeral and you go, ooh, whoops, wrong one. <laughs> I remember seeing my <laughs> grandmother and I was one. like, my grandmother, this her. is not yeah. her. Yeah. This yeah. is very this weird. is like a 40, 40 year younger, yeah. also plastic surgeryed person. Yeah, yeah they're, not, they're quite weird. Yeah, they're quite weird. Um, all right, well, Bri, here, uh, grab one of your cards okay. and uh, read it out, and then uh, Dana, myself, and Taylor will, will have a guess. Okay. Uh, what kind of griever are you? What kind of griever am I? Oh, Christ. Uh, a, open, not afraid to talk. Pray, meditate, cry, or whatever helps. Uh, B, distractor, keep busy and focus on projects and tasks. C, a wreck. Seriously, someone may have to watch me 24-7. Okay. For you. Yes. What am I? You're A. I'm going to go with A. You're someone who's like open to talking about it and like processes it pretty well. Dana, what do you think? I'm inclined to say the same thing because you know him better, but I think B. What was uh, B again? B was distractor. Uh, distractor. Keep busy yeah, and focus right, on projects right. and tasks. I would say I would be more inclined to be A, though I, I wouldn't be surprised if I distract at times. Right. Um, I feel like I'm A and B. I find crying is very cathartic. I'm full on C. <laughs> I'm full on, like, don't deal with it very well, period. Mm. Yeah. You don't like other people's deaths. No, right? I, I hate it. You're I cool with you, but I'm not cool with my death. else. Yeah. I'm all about my death, but, the, yeah, other people's death is hard. Mm. All right, Taylor, let's, uh, let's hear one of yours. This game's fun. <clears throat> All right. Uh, do you think a person has the right to determine when to die if diagnosed with a terminal disease? Yeah, well, well, I mean, this one's a little dated now for... for, uh, for <laughs> at least for this uh, show. At, at least for <laughs> this show and Canada yeah. in general. Um, or North America in general, I suppose. Uh, a, yes, as long as they're of sound mind. Uh, B, in rare situations, but I couldn't be a part of it. C, no, never. A. 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 Yeah. You know what the interesting <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty yeah, interesting yeah. point to bring up though is we had we've had this uh recurring, I guess twice now, um guest on our podcast, uh David McGinley, who is a, a pastor. And he he spoke to us about um like maybe not surprisingly, the church isn't really super supportive of of medical assistance in dying. And um he was talking about the ability for the soul to leave the body mm. um which hearing him talk about it and this is a guy who he what, what's his he's a chaplain at the hospital yeah yeah and so he helps he's, people with like in in hospice and palliative care to like process, process and move, their, and move yeah. through that experience and um hearing him talk about the soul leaving the body when somebody takes their last breath although i don't i think if i had to like really put my money on something i would say that i don't really believe in that it's an interesting thought mm. yeah do you what do you mean what do you what do you do you mean that like you don't like if if that is a thing that happens that it doesn't happen if you if you would he, do this is what he was saying to us on I don't the remember, podcast i don't remember that it, it's a it i i encourage you to go back and listen to that whatever that is at because it's a really interesting episode 100 for everyone who wants to know um and no it's it was the Oh, the second time, we, episode two hundred. Oh, okay, interesting. Because yeah. so, I mean, like, anyway, you, you have a because, like, no matter what way you slice it, you've got a last breath. Uh, yes, but it's about the time thing. I don't know. It's interesting. It's just anyway. a, a thought that I thought was yeah. worth okay. bringing up. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, I, we'll do mine, and then uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, while you're on vacation, 
So while I'm on vacation, someone close to me dies. I, A, want to know immediately. I, B, would rather not know until I get back. I, C, feel like whatever the people back home decide is fine with me. Uh, I'm projecting on this answer, but I'd say A for sure. I think it's got to be a, it's got to depend A or B, A or B, but it depends because it depends on who it is. Like if it was me, if I died at home, like, and you're on vacay. Don't fucking, don't interrupt my vacay. I don't want to, I don't want to Yeah, you don't want to ruin my shit. Because I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, (laughs) have fun. Like, why, how soon is your funeral? Like, why do I need to disrupt you? What your if I miss the, what no, if I miss no, the party? Dude, it's, so to be to well, be we'll fair, delay it. But my, my is Jer on vacation? Or they put, put, they put you put, on ice? I'm gonna put that in my, I'm gonna put that in my, in your in will. My will. I'm gonna be like, if, if Jer, if, if any of like X, like this oh, list of people fuck. is on vacation, wait, oh, but, Jesus. but tell them. No, no, wait. That would ruin it. That Don't would ruin the vacation. Them. That wait, would ruin dude, a vacation you know, real as bad. As somebody who was uh, away when a, f- a friend died and the funeral happened without me there and it was really it was really hard for me to get closure for that death and I grieved it in a lot of different ways. But you knew they time. died while you were away. What I'm saying is that yes. if I was in Hawaii and no one told me... But if nobody told me until I got back and the funeral had happened and shit, I'd be, yeah. I'd be f- way more yeah. fucked up, All dude. right, Dana, yeah. what, do you, more what do you think up. my answer to this would be? After this little banter that you just heard. I don't know. I just want to say A because. Because you want me to be a good person? Well, but if it's it's B, I wouldn't blame you because I've I've done. I haven't done that with another person, but with myself, like I was supposed to get MRI results when I was on vacation and I called them and I was like, I don't want to know. Like, call me later. That's fair. Yeah, totally. Totally. But with another person, I would want to know. So I want to say A. All right. Dana says A. What do you say? I say B, because you're say? a monster. A, dude, you're a good person. Oh, A for sure, dude. Yes, if I, wait, I don't give a course. fuck, dude. Like, if it does, he's not coming home for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not gonna come home. I'm not gonna ruin my vacation. <laughs> Tell me, I'm gonna enjoy the rest of my time in Italy. Oh, okay. Well, if you're <laughs> but not, I'm not come home. coming home. Okay, well, that's what it was predicated. It was predicated on the on. on oh, you on thought he was a good that person. That you would come home. <laughs> But if you're not going to come home, then oh. sure, tell them. I don't uh, okay, <laughs> this is uh, this has been really fun, Dana. Thanks for uh, humoring us with that. We have yeah. we have one more um, really great uh, question that has come in um, uh, from one of our, our one of our viewers and and also a patron. Uh, Jillian says, "If you could leave the world with some advice, what would you want everyone to know?" Wow. Okay. Deep cut. <clears throat> Um, I think for me, it would be that you, I'm not going to, you know, like all the things that come to mind are like, time is precious and, um, don't take anything for granted and whatever. But I think the thing for me that's most important is that this is what I think and not all people believe this, but I think that everything in life is random and nothing happens for a reason, no matter how hard you try to find a reason. Mm. Um, and trust me, I've tried to find one, um, at least for myself. And so, you know, I think do what makes you happy, 
even if it doesn't always make others happy, as long as it's not, you know, harming other people. Since I've been diagnosed, I've decided that I'm not doing anything that I don't want to do because I, you know, life is too short. My life is too short and so is everyone's. And so, um, I think, you know, do what makes you happy and, um, advocate for yourself if you're in a precarious medical situation like I am and just know that you have agency over your own body and your own life and whatever that means for you. And, um, yeah. I hear that. I hear that. Thank, thank you for bringing real big golden retriever energy to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I hear that. I hear that. So that, that, that speaks to me so much because I've been living for me since New day numero uno. No, and we know that. Way know, too many yeah. people think I'm we a psycho. I'm a cold blooded psychopath for it. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a little bit of balance today, but, but you I'm think embodying. you missed the point a little bit. But there's there, yeah. there is a middle ground, and you ain't hitting it. Yes. Um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Dana, thank Yolo. you so much for. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank this you. Is, this has been a real treat. It's been so nice to meet you. And please keep us up to date with everything that happens in your life. Uh, for we sure. Want, we want to know. We want to be a part of this. And, uh, and we want to just keep our, our listeners in the loop. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, uh, Algonquin College, thank you so much for having us. It is so fun to be here with you. We love connecting with that school, and uh, we really hope to, to be there in person the next time we do this. Um, please stay safe. Uh, you know, wear your mask. Wash your hands, be kind to one another, and uh, good luck with the rest of your school year. And to all the listeners out there uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CBC Listen app, thank you so much for everything that you've done uh, and for all of your support, including our patrons who are here with us tonight. Thank you so much. We love you all. Uh, That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.